Bible's got you tied in knots if you're burdened with religious thoughts. Come grab a drink and join the choir. It's Heretic Happy Hour. Welcome, one and all, young and old, to the Heretic Happy Hour podcast. I am your host, Keith Giles. I am the um, author of the Jesus Un series of books uh, available on Amazon. I'm also the founder of Square One for people deconstructing and reconstructing their faith. You can find that at bk2sq1.com. And um, I also, by the way, I haven't mentioned this yet, but I have been doing a solo podcast called Second Cup with Keith. And uh, it's been uh, doing pretty good. Go check that out over um, the Ethos Radio app. You can download that for um, for Apple or for Android over there, uh, you know, at your store, and check that out. Love to share that with you. But this podcast, this one right here, when you're listening to Heretic Happy Hour, this is the bomb. And we're in the middle of this incredible series on decolonizing Christianity. Uh, but more on that in just a second. Let's introduce. Oh, I want to have my co-host introduce themselves, and then we're going to jump into this thing. Uh, my name is Katie Valentine, and Keith, I want to know, it's the second cup of what? Well, for me, it's coffee, but for the listeners, it can be whatever they like. Okay. You know, okay, so fun fact about me. So I'm Katie Valentine. I'm the author of Sex, Slavery, Self-Control. I'm the founder of the Metaphysical Christian uh, Facebook community, and I'm also allergic to coffee. No way! God damn it! I keep learning new things about you, Katie, that I never knew, so you... You have a freaking album. That's that is the single saddest thing that I've heard in 2022. I made it through grad school without coffee. How do you live your life? Oh my god! You then, then you then you can do anything, Katie. <laughs> right? Yeah, I'm just a superstar here. Well, I drink awesome. a lot of tea and diet coke, so it's not like I'm without caffeine, just without coffee. So cocaine is your friend. <laughs> you know what? Another fun fact. Another fun fact. I'll keep, I'll keep it short. I have a weird enzyme deficiency and there's, I cannot have this one anesthetic called succinylcholine and it is closely related to cocaine and it's a really good thing. I've never done coke. Wow. It would probably kill me. Yeah, you might die. I can't metabolize it. My goodness. Uh, so, so, so cocaine won't make you more fun. It'll just it kill you. It'll just so we, kill me flat out. We, yeah. we, we, have, we have to keep that in mind, guys, when we get so together. No, no cocaine yeah, no coffee, for Katie. No, no peanuts for Matt. No right. cocaine for Katie. Okay, there we go. So, Matt, go ahead, please. I'm, I'm oh, gonna, oh, oh, you want me to go? Okay, hold on, I'll step. I, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to ever step in front of you again, but I'll do, I'll do it this time since you gave me the go ahead. I am Matthew J. DiStefano, <laughs> the author of Heretic from the Blood of Abel and a, a host of other books. Also a co-host with, with my man Keith Giles on Apostates Anonymous oh and blogging at All Set Free. Whatever. Blogging at All Set Free. Uh, well, at All Set Free on Pathios. And Derek, let's uh, let's let's have an introduction to yourself and, and our our co-host for today. So I'm Derek Day, and I'm the I'm the author of Deconstructing Religion and the author of the Love Minus Religion uh, blog on Pathios.com, and soon to be an author of the Choir Family. Soon to be. Are you listening, Ralph? God damn it! Are you listening? Are you listening? I think he's <laughs> nodding. Okay, cool. So, so I want to introduce our guest host for the day, and that is Robin Espinosa, and they are a minister of the progressive Christianity and author of Saving Jesus Christ from the Church: How to Stop Worshiping Christ and Start Following Jesus. God damn it! Woo. 
Yeah, I think you added that last part, but yeah. I added the, I added the goddamn <laughs> part. That's not actually title. part of Robin's title. Uh, but they assert that a beautiful but obviously contrived tale is the virgin birth, which may have been used to cover a scandal. So, Robin, come on with the thunder. It's the heretic of the week. Hey, y'all. I'm Robin Henderson Espinosa, and I've been called lots of things, including a heretic. But, you know, a heretic is like one of those things where you're called it so that you can come back into the fold. And I'm not sure that I want to come back into the fold. Hi, Robin. <laughs> we have an exciting guest for you today, Dr. Robin Henderson Espinosa, who is a professor at Duke University. They are an author, a podcaster, a blogger, and an activist. And today, they will help us, the Heretic Happy Hour crew, and the Heretic Happy Hour audience, elevate our consciousness and to help us grow. And we are really excited to have Robin with us. So Robin, please go ahead, take the floor and tell us a little bit about yourself. Thanks so much. It's good to be here. Well, I'm, I'm a myriad of things. I'm, I contain multiplicities uh, like we all do. I'm born of a Mexican woman, not of this country, and an Anglo man, which makes me mixed race. And I take that very seriously. Um, and, and that mixed raceness, that mestizaje, uh, bleeds into everything that I do. And so I come to life and I come to um, my work as a theologian and politicized uh, ethicist in, in the deep intersectional ways. And because race and class and gender and sexuality and ability and all these things, they impact our values, our habits and our practices. And so um you know, I do work in the world and I do work in my community and I do work in the academy and I do work in the church. And basically what I'm trying to do is connect the dots for folks. Um, folks, we all have values, uh, but a lot of folks don't connect their values to their habits, to their practices, uh, which says to me that folks' theologies and ethics are disconnected and that shows up in like um, harmful ways, right? Uh, things like white supremacy, for example, or supremacy culture, um, anti-black racism, etc. And what I'm, what I am just trying to do is to say, hey, look, like context matters, and these social constructs that have, like, time is a social construct. So why, why is there so much urgency in white spaces, and how is that connected to the construct of time? What do we mean by time? How do we facilitate time in generous ways? Uh, so I do, I do what I call translating theory to action, because what I want to do is help bring heaven to earth and imagine another possible world. Isn't I mean that's the Christian message. We've we've made it about the afterlife and we've made it about then, but what you just said sounds like what. Christianity was supposed to be. 
Well, I, I mean, I do call it following the ways of Jesus. And so right. uh, I, I take that very seriously. And, you know, I'm, I, I tell also people that I'm a one-trick pony, right? All of my degrees are in theology. My undergrad is in theology. I have a graduate degree in theological ethics. And then I have a PhD in constructive philosophical theology. So, like, that's all I do. It's all I read. It's all I think about. It's how I analyze the world. And and when we analyze the world and when we are in companionship with our communities, we need to think theologically about where we buy our coffee, where we buy our groceries, how we spend our money, what do we do with our social resources, with our social capital, how do we use our power, access, and privilege. And I talk a lot about that because of my skin color. I move in the world with power, access, and privilege because of my skin color. My mother does is not the same. My mother is much darker than I am. And so she has faced a lot of bias and racism throughout her life. And so I sort of provide stories from my own life as a way to illustrate that power, access, and privilege do matter in the world. And we can do better. We we can be a better people. And I think that's what Jesus was about. Uh, there was a reason why he flipped over the tables in the temple, right? Uh, he was protesting their form of supremacy culture in the form of money. Um, and so, yeah, I, I call it following the ways of Jesus. Uh, other people call it Christianity. Uh, I think Jesus was a great example of the ways that we should live our life. And so I'm just trying to do that the best as I can. Wow. Robin, you know, I just really appreciate that you you really start this whole thing off by focusing on the ethics of Christianity, the way of Jesus. And for me, what I notice is that I, I feel like, I mean, I resonate with this a lot, and I'm sure our listeners resonate with what you're saying a lot, because it, it feels like, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this and then anywhere else you want to take this, but it feels like Christianity, like you just said a second ago, Christ, you know, you call it following Jesus uh, and the way of Jesus, and some people call it Christianity, but they're really not the same thing in practice as I have experienced it. Right. Uh, it's sort of like when people say Christian, when they say that something is Christian or they say that they are Christian, or what they don't mean typically is what I think they should mean is that it's Christ-like. And right. it seems like that's not that's not what they mean. Yeah, and let me just let me just say this that anytime we institutionalize a practice, we then are becoming complicit in its own power. And so let's just take 325 as an example when the Nicaea Creed was established. That was done because of a consolidation of power. So the reason why we have certain belief systems in place in institutionalized Christianity is because of a consolidation of, of Roman power, right? I mean, the Roman emperor withheld food from the bishops at that ecumenical council hmm. and so that they would make a decision. Well, I would not want to fast either. You know, I'm I'm food motivated, sex motivated and everything. And so I'm like, well, if you're going to withhold food from me, um, I might be quicker to make a decision. So it, we had the creeds because it was a consolidation of power. So I question anything that has been institutionalized in ways that have resulted in harm. And I think what we can see is the institutional church has harmed countless people. Now, I'm a transgender, non-binary Latinx, so I, 
I check lots of boxes when it when I'm filling out forms, which means that I'm a multiply marginalized person like many people in the world. And these institutions are not made for us, for multiply marginalized people. Right. These institutions are made for those who have power, access, and privilege, and mostly who are white and have a penis. Yep. And so we just need to be clear about that, right? Like, if we're going to create institutions, how do we create, how do we have a broader, more robust vision for equity in our institutions? And that's one of the reasons why I launched my academic scholarship as a collaborative project which is called the Activist Theology Project, to help not have an institution, but to have an ethics and a practice in place that helps bring heaven to earth. And we do it by responding to the needs of the world. The, you've, you've never made me happier to be part of a non-credal tradition. I did not know that little bit about uh, yeah. 325. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Um, so in, in your, I've just heard so many rich um, things already, uh, including the analysis of race, class, and gender. And then you, you've mentioned that you're um, mixed and uh, Latin X. So could you maybe tell us what that means? Like, what does that mean? I know that was actually a fairly new term for me a couple yeah. of years ago. And mm-hmm. I thought, I'm pronouncing this wrong. And I thought that for a long time before I figured out yeah. how to say it. And I think I still say it wrong sometimes. So Yeah, I, th- I you know, I it is fairly new. I, I want to say in about 2015, Latinx kind of bubbled up and it and it bubbled up from the ground. And I, and a lot of people in the academy were like, that doesn't work. It needs to be Latino uh, Latino or Latina. Um and I said, Well, what about Latino Equia? The Equi meaning the X. Equi is X in Spanish. Well, they certainly didn't like that. But really, Latinx, it bubbled up from the ground and it holds the multiplicity of genders. So as a non-binary trans person, I I take testosterone, but I don't identify as male or man, even though there is some masculine presentation and I you know, have a little beard down here. Um, I'm not interested in being conscripted into toxic masculinity. What I'm interested in is a new vision for humanity. What is our theological anthropology that is liberative for all? For me, that's non-binariness. So the Latinx sort of encapsulates non-binary and and the broader vision for gender. So... You said some things that really resonated with me. At the very beginning, you talked about connecting the dots. Yeah. And, and I'm an engineer by profession. So I like to reverse engineer things and understand how they work. So when you talk about connecting the dots, you're, you're speaking my language, but you get to something uh, just recently where you were talking about activist theology. Yeah. And and so what I'd like to do is I'd like to kind of uh look under the hood yeah. of activist theology and and find out, you know, hey, is this thing normally aspirated? Is it turbocharged? Does it is it multi-valve? You know, what what is it that really makes it tick? And and I'm I'm really excited um to learn what that is and how you connect the dots of that back to, and you, man, you, you gave, like Katie said, you gave us an education on uh, the Council of Nicaea. Yeah. And so I, I, I would like to 
see the uh, the inner workings of that and connecting the dots back to the or the origins of institutional Christianity. Does that make sense? Yeah. I, so first, just let me say, I would love to be in more conversations with engineers because I think that that kind of brain is also... Um, it, it's kind of an artistry of strategy, right? And I think we need more people with that kind of brain doing revolutionary work. So I'm super delighted that we're talking and that we're going to be asking questions of each other. But basically, to boil it down is it's a relationships all the way down for me. And that what we've inherited through settler colonialism, through empire-driven ideologies, the U.S. being one of them, which I call Babylon, is, is, is transactions, not relationship. And so when I'm thinking about activist theology, when I'm thinking about connecting the dots, I am first thinking about how do we be in relationship with difference? Difference is not killing us. Homogenizing our society is killing us. Difference, difference actually is good for society. Conflict is natural for society. So how do we bridge with these differences? How do we create... Um, the kind of tapestry that will create conditions for flourishing. Well, it's a difference, right? I mean, we see a rainbow because light is diffracted in, in a million ways. That's how we get that beauty, not through orchestrating sameness. So when I'm thinking about activist theology, when I'm thinking about the work that we're doing, I have brought all of my Latinidad to the table. And I have said, we eat together because that's how we can heal one another. We text each other because that's how we build generativity in relationship. We celebrate birthdays because life is precious. And we do everything through and by relationship. And when we have that framework of togetherness, which I call an ethics of incojunto, incojunto is a Spanish phrase which loosely translates to togetherness. When we have this togetherness, it's much easier to practice solidarity in relationship and bring heaven to earth. And so that's what we're trying to do. Poco a poco, right? Little by little, day by day, one relationship at a time. And, you know, sometimes we reach several thousand people with a post or an IG Live or a podcast episode. And other times it's just me sharing my vision with y'all and y'all's audience saying, Hey, I'm into that. How can I be in better relationship with people? And by that, we are doing activist theology and bringing heaven to earth. I, I got to say something that when you say y'all in the without skipping a beat between a high intellectual concept, <laughs> that that just that you are speaking my crack of like and fucking language. Okay? I love it. I love it. I, I'll just be honest. But one of the things that um, you 
in, in activist theology, and I'm, I'm loving this because here you have the traditional white structure and, and what, I, what I call the shut up and dribble culture, right? So for someone who is, uh, who is disenfranchised, whether it be by, my, by, by ethnicity, by sexuality, by economic strata, how do you encourage the expression of the voice of those individuals so that they don't have to submit to the shut up and dribble culture? Well, I, for me, I, I'm in deep solidarity with the working class because I too am working class. And and for me, that that is where the multiplicity of voices need to come from. And, and if we can learn to listen to the multitude instead of the few, the few who are in power, I think we can get somewhere. But but like I've been saying for years, we no longer know how to be human with one another. So we need to listen to the multitude, right? We need to stop fighting the poor and fight poverty. And what all that comes down to is composting supremacy culture. And I think when we begin to compost the bullshit, we will get somewhere. <laughs> God damn! I love that. I love the composting. That is such a great visual. That's beautiful. Oh my god, <laughs> Robin! I wanted to uh, maybe go back to something you said, and you can correct me if I'm if I'm wrong here. And I, I won't say that white Christians don't emphasize relationship, but it seems like when we talk theology, it's de facto white colonial theology. That's why we're doing this series. And you're emphasizing, and a lot of our guests have, have emphasized this, but probably not to the degree you, you have, the relational aspect where, I'm not going to put words in your mouth, but it's almost like if it's not relational and practical, like chuck it. Like this, this kind of ivory tower theology, if it's not like helping the marginalized and the oppressed, chuck it. And like that's the emphasis of, of your work, but it does not seem to be the emphasis of white theology. It's more um, kind of theoretical, I guess, but, but what is, what good has it really done in the world? Well, and, and I would say I'm a bit of a heterodox and, and quite unintelligible to the academy because I don't think what folks are doing in the academy is accelerating generativity. I think a lot of it is accelerating harm. And and I say that people who are doing identity politics, I think it accelerates harm because we end up we end up trashing white people through identity politics. And I think we need to be more clever than that. And then you have on the other side people who just refuse uh to pay attention to you know, black liberation theology, womanist theology, whatnot. And both of those options, in my mind, uh, are not good options. And so I like to take a third option and and look at the ways in which um, power has been consolidated and look at systems and the ways that systems play out 
I mean, I use a lot of political theory. I mean, I still, I still play within the tradition of Christianity. I mean, I'm like I said, I'm a one trick pony. All of my degrees are in theology, trained by United Methodists and Catholics and and Baptists. Um, and you know, when it comes down to it, we we have to find compassionate boundaries for the bullshit that harms people. Figure out how to compost it. And then, you know, it's pneumatological in some sense, right? Like breathe new life into it. And I think we can only breathe new life through the generativity of relationship versus transactional theology that is mostly rooted in dogma, do- a, a praxis of dogma, right? We, we need a praxis of revolution, which is what I think Jesus was about. This is also helpful. And I'm curious if maybe you have tips on what it means for decolonizing ourselves, because it's really hard to decolonize ourselves until we kind of understand some of the... Um, some of the blinders that we have on. That was even ableist um, a metaphor that I just used. So I'm aware of my own. And, you know, so I'm kind of curious for our listeners, if you have any tips for how to go about that process, like when we, when we realize that, oh my gosh, there's other options. And how do I even start? How do I even start this process of kind of self-examination and enough relationship building? So I just wrote a book on bodies and embodiment and democracy. And for me, it was about sharing my relationship with how I developed a relationship with my body as a trans person, as a Latinx, as this sort of scholar, activist, pr- practitioner. And I would say one of the first step that white folks need to take is what is our relationship to our body? Because when we are disassociated from our bodies, we end up doing a lot of harm. But when we are in closer proximity and maybe entangled with our body, in relationship with our body, it impacts how we are interpersonally with one another. And then that relationship impacts our cultural body, which can hopefully shape and shift our democratic body. So I do think it comes down to where are we with our bodies? How much space do we take up? Yeah, that embodiment piece sounds so um, rich. Yeah, I mean, how much space do we take up? Where do we stand? You know, do we stand in a certain place in the room that communicates something? Are we even aware that where we sit or stand actually communicates power? Are we aware? Are we analyzing our movements in time and space so that we understand what's happening? Or are we so disconnected and disassociated from our bodies that we have no clue? So decolonizing can start with actually coming into better, more awareness, more aware relationship with our own 3D flesh and blood. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I love that as a starting place. And then of course, you know, things like embodiment practices. I mean, I have six embodiment coaches that help me get into my body. And every one of them gives me a different practice to help me root myself in my body. And when we come better at that, it shows up in our practice in the world. 
I know for me too, it makes me more compassionate to myself and, and then to others. And I, my, I know in people, when I work with them, when they're having a lot of theological questions and when they're deconstructing and when they're trying to figure all this out, often my wisdom is like, why don't you go on a walk? Or go, go like, like, go be a tree hugger. <laughs> um, that might give you the, actually the answers that you need. They, they don't always have to come from our, um, his, um, our, our history, our theological treatises. Right. Right. Now, I, I love something you said about breathing new life into something. And, and that brings a word to my remembrance, aspire to breathe into. Uh huh. And, and so what you're, what you're talking about is an aspirational vision for humanity. And, and, and I'm really loving that. Yes. But I, I want to ask you something. And this is, you know, this is an on the spot question. And how does, when you talk about activist theology, are we, are we, um, getting into something, uh, socialist? And, and, and don't get me wrong because I, I think that I might be the resident socialist here, right? <laughs> uh, and, and, and I'm, you know, and you, you have to understand, I was once a rabid right wing conservative Republican, uh, you know, oh, and, wow. and, and, and I went, I, I went through a complete yeah, me um, metamorphosis. And so, so when, when you're talking about this, I'm thinking about when having an aspirational society, in other words, we're aspiring to a goal, but at the same time, we're breathing life into. Now, I'm going to say one last thing, and then I'm going to shut up. <laughs> Is that you talk? You're talking about the body, and I'm looking at your book, um, Body Becoming. And yeah, and I'm going to buy this immediately after we finish because oh, wow. I'm going to tell you, you something. You are absolutely positively you. You have supplanted Katie as my favorite theologian. Oh, whoa. Hold Damn. On Robin, we'll email after this. We'll email. Sorry, Katie. But <laughs> you, you, you were talking about the body and being a com being comfortable in the body, being able to express the body, how to position the body, how to get into the body. Yeah. And, and, and Christianity, yeah. it teaches that in the flesh, there's no good thing. Now, we talked about this with Jay a couple, uh, was that a couple of weeks ago? That, um, that we're, you know, we're talking about this, the same thing that, that, in the, the the you know religion teaches you in flesh there's no good thing but what the fuck i mean really we are flesh and 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 there yeah. has to be goodness in this we have to be able to uh to unearth the goodness in this so i'm thinking of this breathing new life aspirational uh something to aspire to a a more uh, a socialist which is a more compassionate uh theology and something that absolutely celebrates the body. And I've said a lot, uh, but thank you for, for listening to, to yeah. my rant. <laughs> so Katie, just so you know, I'm super non-competitive and am happy to <laughs> share with you as being yes. a favorite theologian. I, I don't... We can all be in exactly, first place Exactly, here. exactly. Exactly. Uh, yes. <laughs> we can give out participation trophies here. It's fine. <laughs> so with with regard to your question about socialism, let me just remind you what Mark said. The, the road of democracy leads to socialism. So, you know, what do we do with these labels? What do we do with these categories? I, I think socialism uh, in, in Marx's writings is a much more generous society. Um, 
I do think we should take care of the disenfranchised. I do think that we should take care of the underside of the world. Why? Because not everyone has the same access or same conditions for access, which creates hierarchies and ultimately supremacy culture. So um, I would like to see a more socialist bent. I mean, I, I like the idea of democratic socialism. Uh, I would like to see us get there. Um, I think healthy conflict, healthy debate is good for us. I don't think there is only one right way. Uh, I, I, in fact, I think both Republicans and Democrat, the two major parties here in the U.S., are two sides of the same coin. They're too close together. In lot, if you look at them on paper, two cheeks of the same butt. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, so they're, you know, it's when I vote, it's like choosing the the better of two evils. Uh, you know, like. Joe Biden is not our salvation and never could be. Uh, we are protesting Joe Biden on lots of fronts, but he was much better than the other choice that we had, right? So it's, for me, like, let's say when Bush and John Kerry were were presidential candidates, it was choosing the better of two evils at that. You know, one would one would accelerate the war and one might decelerate the war. So... I, I'm I choose nonviolence. So so for me it's about choosing the better two evils until we can imagine a political party that that wants to care for the underside of the world. Yeah, it's like I think almost every recent uh political uh, presidential election has basically been summarized as, you know, the, the the good news is you get a choice. The bad news is your choice is between a vomit smoothie or a shit sandwich. Right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that was that was that was a uh, a, a really tremendous visual. Thank you for that. I, I cannot see that. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> you can't. Our, see our it, metaphors no. are really stunning today. Yeah. <laughs> so let's um, maybe shift gears just a little bit, if that's okay. Let's. Um, so, would you still think of yourself as as a Christian? And and if so, how does the the Latinx and the trans lens, if that's even the right terminology? like inform your Christianity and maybe even uh, the Bible, scripture, things that people who don't experience the world in the same way you do might not see in the scriptures. So to your first question, I am very cautious in identifying as Christian because Christianity equals or is synonymous or parallel to white Christian nationalism. And Mm. so... I'm very cautious when I use, I I like to nuance it a little bit and I prefer to call myself a follower of Jesus um, because I'm more interested in the practice rather than the ideology of Christianity and the Zionism that comes from that, whatnot. Um, With respect to me being Latinx and trans, you know, I wake up in this body every day and, and I... You know, every day I'm reminded that I'm born of a Mexican woman and that always informs my thinking. Every day I wake up trans and every day I'm reminded that I transgress and transcend all the binaries. And 
And to me, that's what Jesus did. And so I feel like both of those things, my Latinxness, my transness, are in line with following Jesus. And, you know, being a Latinx, you know, it's this focus on um, being with the people, uh, caring for the underside. It's knowing that the divine has an option for the underside. Uh, so I, I, I live that out. I mean, I'm very passionate about our friends on the streets who are without, wall, you know, homes with walls. And um, that could be any of us. We're, we're all just a paycheck away from being on the streets uh, for a lot of us. And so I'm very passionate about um, eradicating homelessness and poverty. And so I, I do think that comes from my training in Latin American liberation theology. Uh, and, and, you know, you... you I mean, I, I contain multitudes, right? I mean, I walk in the world in a way that um, I can't unsee the devastation of supremacy culture. And I think being born of a Mexican woman, being trans, knowing at an early age that I was different in lots of different ways, um, you know, that impacts my thinking. Right. And it's, and it's the great irony and tra great tragedy that often the name of Jesus the one who stood with the marginalized and the oppressed and the outcast is then flipped on his head and, and used at like synonymously with white supremacy, with uh, homophobia, with uh, xenophobia and all of that. And that, that's, that, that's why I mean, it's one of the reasons why I don't identify Christian either. Yeah, that is the, that is the great irony. And we interviewed Rain Wilson a few weeks ago, and that was the thing he had pointed out too, that, Jesus has now been successfully just basically flipped around and redefined so that he stands, he's now, yeah, he's, he now is the poster child for everything he stood against. Right. Right. Empire, power structures that are over people, that oppress people, that, um, you know, that marginalize the poor, that marginalize anybody on the outside. Um, yeah, it's, it's really sick and sad and twisted. And this is why going back to the beginning, Robin, I was like, so, so resonating with what you were talking about, about like thinking of, of Jesus following as that, as, as something that is Christ-like, like trying to, it's sort of like, you know, rather than Jesus being a minor character in this uh, religion that has his name on it, like maybe it should be about Jesus a little bit more. <laughs> not about Paul, not about Calvin, not about Luther, not about, you know, any of these other uh, voices that have taken over or Constantine or the, even you know, the creeds, yeah. which most Christians would say, Oh, but these are good things. You know, these are great things. I, I've had, I've, I've had conversations with so many people. They're like, I'm a creedal Christian, uh, usually because I'm not, you know, they'll say, well, I don't, I don't agree with you, Keith, cause I'm a creedal Christian and blah, blah, blah. And, um, but it's like, no, I feel like all of those things are, are, are ways to sort of like rebrand Jesus yeah. into something Jesus is not. And yeah. never was. I, um, I've just moved to a place where um, all the churches are creedal. And so it's interesting because now when I go, I find myself doing what I used to do and I choose the lines that I might say yeah, out loud and that I might I not. So, <laughs> I really appreciate this conversation. So um, Robin, in the same way that you gave us some kind of tips on decolonizing, I wonder if you might also speak to what it means to be an activist. I think so many of us have the idea that being an activist, we all have to be like, 
Jesus or we all have to be like Martin Luther King. Like we all have to be global leaders or it, it doesn't make an impact. So I'm kind of curious. Yeah, yeah, we have to be Malcolm X, right? We have to be big names. It's kind of the hero myth right. uh, of, the, of, of activism. So I'm kind of curious if maybe you can orient us to activism as uh, for either people of faith, people of not of faith, whatever that, uh, wherever they may be coming from. Well, I, I like to think about it in the ways of, can we get our hands dirty together? And if so, how? That might be helping someone move. That might be protesting. That might be calling a friend who is in need. I mean, there's lots of ways to get our hands dirty. And, you know, it it doesn't have to be... It, you know, a lot of people do activism so they can be in that money shot, right? The 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 photograph that catches them in the act that goes viral. And and I actually, you know, I don't go to every protest. I pick and choose which protests I go to because for me, I want to be strategic in my activism because this is a chess game and and it you know we're playing Russian roulette with the empire. Mm-hmm. And so we need to be wise as serpents. And so I, I, I just try to focus on how do I get my hands dirty? Maybe it's driving people around who need to be in a shelter, you know, like, like stuff that is not going to get attention. That's what I try to do. Um, you know, I, I got a lot of attention because I was invited to be in Charlottesville. Uh, but, you know, that's actually not my jam. You know, I'd rather, I'd rather do the low key stuff and the stuff that goes under recognized, um, the stuff that is actually contributing to the care for the underside. Um, and so every day I just ask myself, how can I get my hands dirty today? I love that question. So the, I'm picking up two major tips, which is one, learn to love our bodies. And as we do that, we not to be afraid to get our bodies dirty. Yes. Yes. Now, I, I got to say something, Robin. You, 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 you just used a couple of, of terms that are really dear to me. You said that that's my jam. Yeah. And, and then you also said low key. Yeah. All right. So, 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 so that tells me that you have some knowledge of some inner workings of black culture. Right, because these are these are terms that are uh, they they're from the hood, from the right. street. Right? right. So what what I want to ask you is how do we collectivize the energies of the street, of the hood, of the trans, of the gay, of the woman, of the how do we how do we harmonize and aggregate? All, all of these different, uh, all of these different cultures, because what what I see frequently is everybody's kind of like in their own headspace, and they're and they're looking at like, okay, this is me, and this is what my needs are, and this is me, and this is, but but the but the reality is is that all disenfranchised are disenfranchised, and that means we're all in the same boat with the same leak. And so instead of trying to figure out how to get what's mine, how do we figure out how to plug the hole in the boat so that we can get what's ours? Yeah. So 
recently someone asked me if if I had any Afro Latino in me that you know where where you know because there is a sense where I I'm able to to jam with folks who are non-white. And and I, I told this friend, I'm like, you know, I don't know. I, I did my 23 and me and it really said all Mexico, but maybe, you know. So to to your question about having some insider language of black culture, I think it's because I have um tried to be a student of those who are disenfranchised and those who are unable to access. Yeah, in, in the words of Angela Davis, you're like down with the struggle. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, to to your other question, yeah, relating to how do we plug the boat, um, you know, it it's a it's a tricky task navigating this world because there are so many moving parts and moving pieces that once you once you move one chess piece, it makes you vulnerable on three different sides. And so for me, I decided to take theology to the streets. And I decided as a 20-year-old that when I was in seminary, I'm going to wear a t-shirt and jeans because that's what a theologian does. I decide, and my teacher who who I love and adore and we still talk, she said to me one time, she said, you might want to, you know, find a vocation where you can wear your t-shirt and jeans. And I always remember that because I'm like, I think I have, it's called being a theologian and I'm going to take it to the streets. And, and, you know, I learned at an early age how to code switch, you know, like how to navigate my Mexican mother's life and how to navigate the white world into which I was conscripted. And then, of course, when you join higher education, you know, you just become whitewashed in lots of different ways. And so when I when I left my faculty post in Berkeley, California, after the 2016 election, I was like... I'm breaking free. I'm ta- I'm taking this to the streets. I'm going to write this book, Activist Theology, and I'm going to I'm going to say that theology no longer belongs to the academy. It belongs to the people. And we need to be good stewards of our practices. And so so for me, I'm I'm going to make a point here. For me, plugging the boat is how do we be in right relationship with people across lines of deep difference? Like, do we even know how to be in the boat together with it unplugged? Because if we don't, we won't know how to be together in the boat with it plugged. Yeah, you know, I think that's so good because it seems that, um, and tell me if I'm if I'm speaking out of turn or if this if this resonates with what you're saying. But it seems that the strategy employed by you know white supremacy and patriarchy and all that is to um, one of the ways they maintain power is to convince all the other marginalized groups that one of the other that they're each other are the problem, right? Yeah. So let's blame these, you know, oh, it's those it's those lazy homeless people that don't work. They're the ones, or it's those Mexican people crossing. They're the ones. They're stealing your jobs. And so, yeah, it seems like that that what you just said is exactly right. Like there has to be a unity 
we have to recognize the, all, all these different groups have to recognize that they are not one another's enemy, that they are actually are in the same boat. I mean, I think even just recognizing we are in the same boat and, um, and that by coming together and recognizing that they're, you know, not, not believing basically the hype, right? Not believing the, the, the story that's been told to you. Well, and, and, and let me, and let me say this, and this is unpopular among a lot of people, among a lot of progressive, liberal, white liberal progressives, which I don't identify as a liberal or a progressive. I'm a liberationist. Or a white. <laughs> or white. Um, there is no separation. In fact, there is no separation between us and Donald Trump. And well, can, when we we, say, can we say it biblically? There is therefore now no separation. Right. That's right. In right. Christ, we are all one. That's right. And so when we take that seriously, it's not about a unity without struggle. We are trying to become whole with one another. And in order to become whole, we have to honor our differences and learn how to be in relationship. And yeah. without that, we fail at being human and we will not survive ourselves. Yep. Love that. I think it's exactly right, Robin. That's beautiful. Mm. Any anyone have any last thought? This has been fantastic, by the way. Mm-hmm. You drop, bring it. You just drop some hammers, man. You just, <laughs> yeah. you, this is beautiful. Thanks. Really good. Thanks. Listen, I, my, I think my IQ just went up at least three or four points <laughs> easily. I don't know if that's how it works, but we'll, 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 we'll sure. say it did. No, no, this this actually did. This, this is one of those cases. Thank you. Uh, yeah. Do you want any of our 20 listeners? Um, no, there's more than that. Um, to know where to find you on social media, anything that you're working on, now's the time to... Yeah, books, uh, blogs, podcasts. Shamelessly plug. Yeah. So uh, I'm online. I'm on the socials on Instagram and Twitter at irobin. That's the letter I-R-O-B-Y-N. And my website is my full name, drrobinhendersonespinosa.com. You can read more about me there. You can go to activisttheology.com and read about the project. We do have a podcast and we drop a weekly episode. And that weekly episode usually drops on Monday or Tuesday. And we translate theory to action and theology to praxis every week. Um, I just wrote a new book. It's coming out in late March called Body Becoming, A Path to Our Liberation. And the book is about bodies, embodiment, and democracy, essentially arguing that embodiment is a vision for democracy. And, you know... I just ordered I, my copy. Oh, great. Thank you. I mean, I, I would love to... I would really love to hear from people about this book. You know, so... If you pre-order it and read it, please let me know what you think because we've got to do something because the our current strategies of oppositional politics, the us against them, is not working. And so this is an attempt to try to be a good steward of my platform and of my story and of my, my flesh and bone. Yeah, that's great. Good, good stuff. Thank you. Wonderful, wonderful to meet you, Robin. Thank you so much for sharing your story and your perspective. And uh, this has just been really stimulating, really exciting, beautiful stuff. Thank you. It's good to be here with y'all. Well, they did come with the thunder, and that was yet another A-plus episode. We know y'all agree with us. 
because that's you have to agree with us where the it's heretic happy are. That's what so people do. It's, it's, God it's, damn right. That's right. That's right. Before we wrap it up today, because we have to wrap all these episodes up as long as it ends. We could keep them going for hours, but we, we're wrapping up now. Before we sign off, heretichappyhour.com is where you want to go after you stop this episode. And you're going to want to binge all the episodes you have not checked out yet. If you've checked them all out and you don't have any swag, head on over to heretichappyhour.com and check out the t-shirt shop. We got pillows, we got hats. We also got a bookstore. So check it out today. Pillows. Don't we get to interview the most fun people ever? We really do. It's just You're amazing. Goddamn so right. I'm gonna I'm gonna go into our Facebook group, our free Facebook group that's for everyone and the deconstruction reconstruction process called Heresy After Hours. I'm gonna post some more fun stuff about Robin and how amazing it is to get to interview all of these people. Um, you are invited to the conversation. You're invited to the group. Just go into Facebook, go to the search bar. Type in Heresy After Hours. We're going to be the first group that comes up. Click on it. We're going to ask you a few questions. You answer the questions. It'll take you two seconds. Answer the questions, and then we're going to approve you for membership, and we're going to welcome you into that awesome community. So Heresy After Hours on Facebook. Is it two questions or three questions? And three. Katie, Katie may approve you personally. Right. I might. If you know, and you never know. One of us might do it, and uh, you know that's part of the fun. It's like the magic sparkle little clip. That's right. It's beautiful. But yeah, please answer the questions because that kind of, it is important. We, you have to answer the you questions. Do. Don't, they're easy. You know the answers <laughs> That's to right, them. They're super easy. <laughs> so um, uh, I also wanted to say, if you're listening to the podcast and, uh, and you support us, uh, we want to say thank you so much on, over on Patreon, patreon.com slash Heritage Happy Hour. Uh, your support means so much to us. And uh, when you do support us, you already know this, uh, you have unlocked over a hundred different videos and bonus conversations and, uh, you know, posts and all kinds of amazing stuff over there. And, uh, but if you don't yet, if you're like left out, gosh, I hate that for you to like not be a part of all this amazing stuff that's going on. Uh, you know, you've never heard those extra bits of interview that we did with David Billyhart or the extra interviews we did with, um, you know, Bishop Carlton Pearson or things like that. Like you need to hear that because that's really cool stuff. So, you know what? Even for like $2, $5, $10 a month, doesn't matter. Uh, go and sign up, become a supporter of the podcast, unlock all this amazing stuff, and you'll get access to the private Facebook group available only to our supporters, the Heretic Happy Hour official Facebook group on top of all that. And uh, if you already support us, again, you know we love you so very much. Here it is. Mwah! Thank you. Thank you so much. I don't know, Keith. That wasn't wet enough. Well, you know, I, I, I need to wet my lips. Come on, come on lick, lick, lick your uh, lips. We've been lick talking a long time. Yeah, it's been, and, it's been a long day. And, and, and do this thing. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. You're not getting off that easy, dude. No, no way. Ah, there you go. There we go. All right, now I'm better. And if you love the Heretic Happy Hour podcast and you want to promote it to your friends, give us a five-star rating. And I promise you that if you give us a five-star rating, that you too will unlock your magic hoo-ha. <laughs> what if I don't have a magic hoo-ha? <laughs> It's a gift that keeps on giving. I'm so glad I said that. Wow.